Good evening to everyone. Good to see you tonight. My name is Tim Harrison, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist. If you're a guest tonight, welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. All of our friends in Perry, Oklahoma, Church on the Square, uh, Pastor Brown, we love you. Uh, we love you more than anything. Open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 6 in the message series entitled Man on a Mission. Tonight, the message entitled Fire in His Lap. It's a euphemism. It comes from uh, the passage we're going to read tonight. Uh, we are going to talk about men and sexuality tonight. We, we can do this, people. We really, really can. Take a deep breath. Uh, if you got your kids with you tonight and you're terrified about the questions you're going to have on the way home, <laughs> I would love to be in your car on the way home tonight. That's <laughs> just so good. God bless you. That's awesome. Um, I'm not an expert of any kind. Uh, I'll say that up front. Uh, but I do work with Warren Weeks, and any questions I have on this topic, I typically uh, know where to find his office. Uh, Actually, uh, uh, Don Harris, the man who taught me everything I know, is in the house tonight, my dad. Uh, I learned, I guess, from my dad. How many of you grew up on a farm, a farm people? Yeah, we tend to learn things uh, in a different way and, and sometimes ahead of the rest of the kids because, you know, farm life is just sort of real life. And when it comes to sexuality, I learned out on the farm with my dad who would uh, usually use agricultural <laughs> images to, to explain things. Uh, so dad would say, see that heifer and that bull out there? That's pretty much how we made you. You know, and you think. <laughs> raises more questions than it answers, but hey, that's just uh, farm life. Yeah, dad, I love you. Th those were some of those awkward conversations of my life. Um, and you too. Yeah, I know. I know. We didn't make eye contact. We just watched the cows and... And they were, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but you know what, I, I would say this, and I'll say it in my dad's presence, um, I thank God for a, a father who will have those awkward conversations with the son, just because the son needed that awkward conversation, uh, it, it's amazing, I, I learned not just in those awkward, <laughs> awkward moments in the farmyard, um, but also from a man who loved my mother, and, and stayed true to her and lived uh, in full capacity of his, the strength God gave him. Uh, all of this matters when you're raising sons, and I encourage you dads not to avoid, please don't avoid the conversations just because they're hard and awkward. Your son will love you for it. Bottom line, uh, we have to learn somewhere about these things, and, and let's admit it, the church is usually silent uh, one of the reasons why I like to sometimes address this topic from the pulpit is for the sake of our children. And I try to be very, very careful when I speak, and I, I want to be very respectful of you and your family and the way you all choose to, uh, to educate your children. But I don't want kids to spend their whole life in our church and never hear about this from the pulpit. Because when, when that happens, understand, they're hearing about sexual things everywhere else they go everywhere. That was true when I was a kid, and, and it's a hundred times more true today. Uh, it, our, our culture is completely pornified, and kids now know more than we could have possibly ever known at, at that age. And, and for that reason, if the only place where these things are never talked about is church, then the assumption that kids come away with is that we don't either know about these things or that we don't have anything to say about these things. And I find that to be a very tragic message to communicate. Uh, so I really don't apologize for, for making this a topic to, to speak of when we open God's word, and Proverbs 6 is a good place to go, so, so let's do that. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 is where we'll be. Uh, 
this is great scripture, so uh, open your Bibles and follow with me, and uh, <laughs> we'll get through this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. You there? You ready? My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. Underline that. Corrective discipline is the way to life. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. And then the following verses talk about the punishment, actually. It goes on there, but let's stop right there. Verse 20, go right back. This whole passage, which is dealing with sexual teaching, sexual instruction, begins, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. I, I love that. The assumption being in Scripture that this is something that parents together are going to teach their children. Do you see that? Uh, that may sound simple or, or basic to you, but it is not simple and basic in the world we live in. Most children are not receiving good information from their parents. Uh, I, I suppose in the old days we, we would talk about, you know, probably Ward Cleaver, leave it to Beaver. You know, probably back in those days, a ward would, would set aside a time and then have the talk with his sons, Wally and Beaver. You know, a, a talk, the talk, maybe the night before Wally gets married or, or the day that Beaver moves off to college, whatever. And if that was ever a good idea, I hope you understand that that is not sufficient now. If you possibly think, Dad, that you're going to cover this in a talk with your son, what are you thinking? For one thing, by the time you get around to the talk, he's probably already stayed up too late one night and saw way too much on television. You, you've already missed your opportunity to instruct him. Understand? He's already gotten his information from somewhere else. And, and also, if you think that you can do this in one talk, one talk, you, you understand? It's so much to absorb, and the first time you hear it, you're just mostly shocked. You understand? First time you hear it, you're just thinking, oh my goodness, this can't be. No way. No, no, no. And it takes a while. A child, a son tends to absorb this in ways that he can at a particular age, whatever age he is. And so honestly, it's a conversation that has to begin early and continue all the way through. It simply needs to be something that in the privacy and dignity of your family life you can talk about. And that's hard. It's hard because most of us honestly didn't grow up in families like that. I do a lot of premarital counseling with couples getting married, and most couples getting married tell me that in their family growing up, nobody talked about sexual things. Now, sometimes daughters and mothers do a better job because there is a biological necessity that most mothers tell their daughters a thing or two. But it's not always the case with sons. And so a lot of sons never get told nothing about nothing, ever at home, even in Christian homes, and sometimes especially in 
Christian homes. That's, that, that's just devastating. It, it's devastating to, to think like that. Because let's think about your son. If you don't teach him, Dad, you don't teach him about this most intimate and important part of the way God made him. If you don't instruct him, then he goes out into the world trying to pick up the information on his own. Now, there's a lot of information out there, a, a lot of information. When I was a kid growing up in Warren County, Kentucky, for me to have access to certain things, I would probably have had to find a ride to Nashville and get in the car and drive down to kind of the worst part of Nashville. And then even then, there would be shops or stores with the windows all painted black and, and no signs on the door. And if I could get in, I never did this. I'm not telling, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Yeah, got to be really careful. Y'all are looking at me. <laughs> Never did. I'm just telling you, there were certain things that were absolutely kept out of sight from, from most of society. It was hidden. And, and the people who went there went in secret and, and in shame. But I'm just telling you now, if your child has an iPhone, they can sit there on the couch while you're home and look at things much, much worse than you ever could have found on Printer's Alley in Nashville. Do you understand that? There is nothing anymore that is off limits from anybody. It is all out there. And, and you're so naive, so naive, if you think that simply because you haven't brought it up, therefore your child doesn't know. Your child cannot escape it. And so therefore, father and mother, you've got to be there to talk and to give instruction. You simply must. And notice the context here is father and mother. Father and mother together. I understand that some things probably need to come from dad and will come from dad. But there's still this context of a relationship. This, this instruction, this, this whole topic, it is in the context of a loving relationship between a husband and a wife. And so in Scripture, when the topic is this instruction for the son, then notice there, it's the father and mother. It's coming from father and mother. Would that that would be the case. But, but here's the problem. You have a lot of boys, most boys, I would say, and probably a lot of the men in this room. Nobody ever sat you down and taught you nothing about nothing. Now, you think you know. You think you know. And I would argue some of you don't know what you think you know. Now, this is from experience. I can remember being a kid growing up in a Baptist church, just like some of you growing up in a Baptist church. And one night I think our preacher said something about fornication. Now, I didn't know that word. But you know, sexual things always, you don't know what it is, but you still know that's probably really interesting, you know, especially as a kid. So I remember I was thinking, what exactly is that? That's, that's, that sounds interesting. So the boys after church, we, we got out back behind the church, and we started asking, what is it? What is it? You know. So it was our pastor's son. <laughs> our pastor's son explained it all to us that night behind the church building. The pastor's son. I mean, he told it all. He told us a lot in detail. Now, looking back as a 48-year-old man and father, I'm telling you now, he didn't know nothing. <laughs> he didn't know anything. I, I want to call him up now and say, did you ever have kids? I mean, this guy knew nothing. He had it all wrong. I don't know where he got that mess. But now I believed him for a while. But even then I'm thinking, I don't even think that's possible. I, I, I don't think so. But here's the thing. We don't get good information. We don't get good, good information. And as a man, we typically don't like to ask for instructions. Am I right? 
we typically like to just act like we already know. And if the topic is sexuality, we really want to seem like we know. You know, we want to be the sex machine. We want to be the awesome. Even if we're pastors, you know, you just have this tendency to, to want to be that guy. And so we don't ask anybody for any sort of information or help. We just feel like we're already supposed to know. So it's a very dangerous thing. We have adult, grown, and in our case, Christian men who really have never had a genuine conversation about these things with anybody wiser or anybody who could tell them something about something. And is it any wonder then that, that about 50% of church-going men like you guys are addicted to internet pornography today? It's, it's a secret part of your life. And, and it's a shameful part of your life. And at this point, you feel like there's nobody in the world you can talk to, least of all your wife. And that's, and that's the horrible part, too. My son, obey your father's commands. Let's break this down a little bit. And we're not even to the sexy part yet, I know, but, but just stay with me. My son, obey. The Hebrew word there is actually the word for protect. Protect, and that's interesting because we're here instructing a son who's protecting something he's already received. You understand? Understand the difference there? We're instructing a child who's already been taught the way of wisdom. So, so the instruction here is not so much it is to obey, that absolutely is, is the part of it, but it's also the idea that you protect this, that, that this knowledge that's been passed on from, from, from father and mother to, to son, this is something that you need to, to protect. You, you need to hold on to this. You, you need to treasure it as something of great worth and value. That, that certainly means obedience. But again, it also assumes that the son has already heard this, already received it, and now his job is, is to protect it. It probably colors the way the rest of this instruction moves. In the Proverbs here, the, the, the father's actually warning the son against the loose woman, the prostitute, or the adulteress, and we'll get to that in just a second. But, but, but understand, we're not talking to a fool. If we were talking to a fool, the, the instruction would probably be very different. We're not talking to someone who's never been taught. So in this case, the son is being warned uh, against those in the world who would try to come and lead him off the path, who would try to come and seduce him or lead him in ways opposite from what he was taught. You understand? So it's not so much that the son is being warned that women out there are crazy, Women are crazy, and they'll get you, and they're all nasty and dirty, and stay away from women. That's not the, the impression that the father wants to give the son. It's simply that we're dealing with the son who is wise and not foolish, and a son who's received instruction, and therefore he must protect and obey his father's next word, commands. The, the word is, is commands. In Scripture... All of the instructions about sexual morality, sexual purity, they come to us as commands with the force and authority of a command. Now, I know this is difficult, probably not so much for any of you, but for the world today. People want to believe that, that sexual ethics are sort of up for, for debate. As if times can change and maybe the way fathers and mothers used to teach their children, all of those ways are, are outdated now. And it's a new day and we're modern families now and there's a whole new kind of sexual ethic that, that governs our lives. No, no. Now, if you are a non-believer or, or if for you scripture has no authority whatsoever, then, then I, I can't 
talk to you at the moment. But for those of you who are believers and those who are, are committed to the fact that Scripture is the authority for your life, then understand all of the instructions about sexual purity come in the form of, of command. These are commandments to be kept with the authority that comes down from God. And so these things are not up for debate, and they do not change simply because it becomes politically incorrect to speak of right and wrong when it comes to sexual things. It does not change simply because certain minorities begin to have a strong voice politically. None of this changes for us because God's word isn't going to change. My son, obey your father's commands, don't neglect your mother's instruction. Go to verse 23 with me. For their command is a lamp, their instruction a light, and corrective discipline. Discipline is the way to life. Discipline is, is the way to life. Now, think about fathers and mothers and discipline. You're probably thinking here about punishment. And we're going to talk about punishment later down in this passage after the transgression. But discipline here is, is, is different. It's, it's different. It's the idea of training. It's the idea of hearing someone tell you what is right and what is wrong so that that voice eventually is internalized. And that's the aim of discipline, the aim of good, godly discipline and teaching. The idea is that, that, that these truths, that this, this, this purity becomes something that, that is inside of you to such a degree where you don't always have to be taught or reminded anymore. It's, 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 it's a voice that's in you. And we want our children to grow up with, with that kind of internalized Christian morality. But, but more than that, it's the idea of hard work. If you've ever been an athlete, if you're a runner or a basketball player, a football player, or whatever it is that you do, everything like that takes discipline. It's hard work. It, it, it's really, really hard work. And most of us who aren't afraid of hard work would say that everything in life that's worth having comes as a result of hard work. Everything of value comes with a price tag, and that price tag means hard work. And your sexual purity, which is a wonderful thing that God gives you, it also comes with a kind of price tag. It takes work. It really does take discipline. This is hard, guys. It's very, very difficult. I remember being a kid growing up in church, and I was taught to keep myself pure. And I was taught that the beauty of God's gift of sexuality for, for men and women and husbands and wives. But I used to be so frustrated because I'm a 13, 14, 15-year-old boy. Oh, my goodness. I was so in love with Farrah Fawcett majors in sixth grade. Oh, oh my goodness. And Wonder Woman, I had a picture of Wonder Woman in my, in my algebra notebook. And I would, I, actually, I covered a photo with aluminum foil. Yeah, yeah, as if this isn't nerdy. I covered the photo with aluminum foil, and then I put Wonder Woman, you know, in her bathing suit. Yeah, so in class, I, man, you know. But I assumed that nobody at church would understand that. Understand? I assumed the men wouldn't know about that. And all along, I'm told to, you know, to keep myself pure for, for marriage, and I fully intended to do that, and I did. But I remember just struggling, thinking, this is so hard. Why is this so hard? If it's such a wonderful gift, why does God give you this gift when you're 12 years old and then tell you just to hang on to it till you're 22? Because that's what it felt like. Why? Why must I struggle in this way when, honestly, nobody else seems to be struggling? And what's the purpose of, of giving me the, the, this gift, this desire, this capacity, this ability, but at the same time saying, don't act on that. Don't do anything about that. Just live with that till you get married. 
It seemed like a cruel joke, just to be honest. It seemed so difficult. I just wonder, God, why didn't you just keep this gift un until my wedding night and then just wrap it up, you know, with a place setting or, or something? But, but no, God, God gives you this, this maturity as a man, this ability when you're a boy. And then definitely there is this period of time when you walk in discipline. You walk and you keep yourself pure, and it is God's plan, and it is a healthy struggle. It's a healthy struggle. What I learned as a young man who, who walked those ways of purity, even though it was very difficult, continuing to discipline myself and say no when I really wanted to say yes sometimes, what you eventually learn is that this is not just a temporary thing. Learning purity Waiting for your spouse is not just something that, that's important for you when you're a teenager. I've learned that as a married man, I'm still doing that. It still takes discipline for me to keep myself pure for Christ first, but also pure for my wife. She really is the only woman I've ever known sexually and the only one I ever will. I, don't, I promise her I wouldn't mention her in the in the sermon tonight, I just messed up. Nobody look at her. Don't look at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the last thing she said when I left the house. Do not mention me in the sermon tonight. Don't say anything about me. So, yeah. so nobody look at it. Nobody look that direction. Uh, but understand, it's uh, it is a matter of discipline. It, it is a matter of our sanctification. This is part of how Christ works in our lives, and that discipline is important. It's it's very very important. Let's just keep going. Let's move. Verse twenty five. Uh, I know that you, you read the Bible and you often just assume that the Bible doesn't know about certain things, but, but uh, let, let me help you with a little bit here. Don't lust for her beauty. We're talking to the sun now. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. Again, Hebrew is such a fun language. Uh, that last part of verse 25 there, don't let her, her coy glances seduce you. What it, actually it said, what it actually says is, don't become absorbed in her eyelashes. <laughs> don't get absorbed in her eyelashes. That is so funny to me. Uh, there are a lot of lady parts th that are interesting, but eyelashes for me, uh, I, I don't understand that. Uh, I've never seen guys say, man, did you see the lashes on that girl? Uh, I mean, it, it just, <laughs> you reckon they're real? It just doesn't work that way. Uh, do not become absorbed in her eyelashes. Uh, Y'all got to stay with me here. <laughs> Don't let her beauty absorb you. Yeah. Um, can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Fire in his lap. Um, again, that's a euphemism. In, in the Hebrew language, lap would be a way of talking about male parts. I'll just leave it there. Uh, so the Hebrew language there is, is sort of playing with, with words in such a way to really make its point in, in a very vivid way. Same thing with feet in verse 28. In, in the Hebrew language, feet would be a euphemism as well for, for male parts, and that would be very common, and everybody would know that if they spoke Hebrew. We don't always know that, so we miss the double entendre in that passage. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? What's the point of that? What's the message? It's, a, it's intended to be a very vivid word about a man who compromises his sexual integrity, a man who takes fire into his lap. You got that image? A man who, who, who does this, who does not keep what he was taught. He doesn't walk in the ways of purity and of Christ. And what's the 
impression here. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? What's the point of those questions? It's kind of a rhetorical question. And what's the message? Do you see it? It's about consequences. Can you play with fire and not get burned? That's what he's saying. Can you walk on hot coals and not blister your feet? The idea is sexual sin always has consequences. Always has consequences. And this is the most difficult thing to teach young people. Well, let me just say this is the most difficult thing to teach anybody. Because when we are caught in the power of another person's beauty or when we are are trapped in a woman's eyelashes, um, in that situation, we typically no longer think very clearly. We no longer think about how this could go wrong. We no longer think about the ones who are going to be hurt. We don't think about lives we're destroying. We don't think about disease. We don't think about any of these things. We sort of become... uh, Overwhelmed is not the word. I don't believe we're ever overwhelmed. But, but we no longer become logical. We simply begin to follow uh, lower urges, sinful urges, that inevitably will only show us, again, the, the, the enemies behind this, of course. He only wants to destroy us. And as a man, he will always hit us in our weakest place. And for most of us, it's right here. And so never in that moment of temptation are, are, are we allowed to read the fine print Never in these moments of temptation are we ever uh, asked to consider the the real cost of what we're about to do. So, man, you're tempted to to do a little flirting with with the cute girl at work. I mean, your wife, you know, she hasn't looked cute in a long, long time. And besides, all she does is nag. But now here's a girl at work who thinks you're funny and laughs at all your jokes and thinks your shirts look nice. And your wife hasn't paid you a compliment, you know, since... Bill Clinton was president, and so you really begin to become, you know, trapped in her eyelashes, so to speak, and you no longer start to think about what's happening. You don't begin to consider real consequences, how one day you'll have to explain what you have done to your children. You will have to explain what you've done to your children one day, how one day you'll have to explain to your wife why you did this. You are never really shown those consequences up front. But scripture wants to remind you that there are consequences here. Sin always has its consequences. And when it comes to sexual sin, there there are particular boundaries around this, this area, this natural part of human desire and behavior. Real boundaries. And you can see that here in Proverbs. I want us to consider why that is, because it's important. Why does Scripture draw particular boundaries, build a particular wall around this part of our lives, this kind of temptation? What makes sexual sin different, and what makes it different for men? Turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. You've read this passage before, but probably probably not thinking about sexual things. Let's do it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. There's special boundaries around this most natural behavior. Let's try to understand why. This is the uh, household code in, in the book of Ephesians, talking about instructions for all the members of the household. And we get to the husbands in verse 25, Ephesians chapter 5. Listen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. 
Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Interesting that that passage ends up, that the, the, uh, the, the, the climax there is, is sexual. Do you see that? Talking about husbands and wives and, and, and the relationship that they have as God intends. And then the, the topic turns to the great love that a husband has for his wife. It's like Christ. Is, is what it says. It's a sacrificial kind of love. Christ laid down his life for the church, and therefore the husband sacrifices, lays down his life for the, for the wife. I mean, this is what men are supposed to aspire to. We're going to be like Christ. This is the point of this passage. But, but it's interesting how all of this is taken up. keeps talking about how it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Do you see the point of the passage here? That the love of a wife and husband is the closest thing that you'll ever see on earth to the love of God for us. The love of Christ for the church. Did y'all get that, what I just said? Because I think it's important that the closest thing you'll ever see on earth to the love that God has for us is, is the love that you see between a godly husband and wife. And that, that moment, that, that, that secret moment when the husband and wife become one sexually, it's, it's, it's a mystery, Paul says. I mean, this is an amazing text, amazing. But you understand that, that sexuality, man, our sexuality, it's it's spiritual and it's mysterious and it's not just joining body parts with body parts it's not about you proving yourself in any way it's it's not about you being something big it's it's not like that at all and this is why the church of all people we have to help people understand what sexuality is and how holy and special and wonderful this is between a wife and husband this is a glorious and mysterious and wonderful secret that a husband and wife share. There's nothing else on earth like this. Nothing else. And that is exactly why there are special parameters here, special boundaries around this particular part of your life, this incredible gift that God gives you. This isn't anything ordinary. This is amazing. This is mysterious, Paul says. It's, it's, it's a secret. It's wonderful. That's what God intends. But because it is so important and because it is so secret and mysterious and so very close to, to seeing something important about the heart of God, it's exactly why the devil, the enemy, attacks us here. Because this is one thing. If, if this is the closest thing to seeing God's love for us, then there's no wonder that that's exactly why the devil on earth wants to pervert this image for everybody else. So sex in the world is made into something very shameful and dirty. It's made into something perverse. It's, it, it's twisted when the world gets a hold of it. And this is why, sir, your addiction to internet porn is so destructive and damaging to you. 
Because the pictures that you allow yourself to see are nothing like what Paul describes here, nothing. That picture that you keep going back to, the images that you allow to, to, to feed your soul here, do you understand that those images are destroying for you what is one of the most amazing parts of the strength God has given you? See, the devil perverts this image. He wants you to think of it in, in something other than what it is. He wants it to become to you something about proving yourself or something about dominating somebody else or something about making yourself feel good. You understand? And that's not what sex is for. That's not what God has given us. That's not what it's supposed to be about. But nobody's told you this, or if they have, you have chosen to substitute a lie for the truth. It's, it's, it's devastating. If you think that sex is something shameful, if you think that sex is something dirty, if you think of sex as something low, then whenever you're feeling low, Whenever you're feeling dirty, whenever you're feeling shameful, you'll go looking for sex. You understand, sir? When you think of it as something low, something dirty, something shameful, then when you're feeling low, dirty, and shameful, you'll look for sex, and you will inevitably act out your shame, your lowliness, your emptiness. It's a perversion of what God created, and this is why you're never satisfied. This is why, as a man, you can't get this part of your life together. It becomes a part of your secret life because you really don't want anybody to know what, what goes on in here. A, a, a lot of men, and, and again, if the statistics are true at all, 50% of you, 50% of our men would be addicted to internet pornography. That's alarming. I, I heard of a pastor who, who doubted that. He just didn't believe it. So he actually surveyed the men in this congregation. I'm not going to do that, guys. Relax. Uh, he surveyed the men in his congregation. He, he let them do a, a sort of a, a secret poll. And in the secret poll of the men in his church, he found that it wasn't at all 50% who were addicted to Internet pornography. It was 60%. It's probably not a low estimate. So what's that mean? It means on any given Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you are sitting in these pews, guys, and you feel like creeps. You feel like hypocrites. You feel like weasels. Because you are this one thing in front of everybody else. You're one thing in front of your sons, and you're one thing in front of the church people. You're even one thing in front of your wife. But you got this whole secret life uh, that is dirty and shameful, and, and it destroys your soul. You with me? It's not what God intended. Not what God intended at all. So what do we do? What's the answer? Well, I think we have to come back to Scripture and what Scripture teaches us about sexuality. It's God's good gift. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's playful. It's joyful. It's, it's the secret between a husband and a wife. Belongs in marriage, Period. Brother Tim, a whole lot of us in this house aren't married. What does that mean for us? Well, it means you live in purity, just like the rest of us. We all aim for purity. In marriage, that means you keep sexuality between you and your spouse, you and your wife, period, period. Nothing else with nobody, period. You don't entertain fantasies with anybody else other than your wife, period. It's between you and her, always. And if you're not married, then you continue to keep yourself pure for Christ. I mean, it's Christ. It's, it's a commandment. 
Well, what if I'm gay? What if I'm gay and, 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 and the government won't let me get married? Well, we're going to talk about that next week, actually. But uh, for tonight, just let me point out to you that there's not a special clause in Scripture if you're gay. There's not anything carved out here that says the rules are rewritten for you. You're going to pursue sexual purity just like the rest of us. And if the only kind of sexual acts that you desire are forbidden acts, then you'll live in purity, won't you? I mean, don't you want to please Christ? I mean, we walk in purity, all of us. Because sex is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not dirty. It's not shameful. Kept in the boundaries that God has drawn for it, it, it is a part of your strength, sir. You see, this is the thing. Can you imagine if the 50% of, of church men could be set free from this? Because it's part of what's holding you back. It's exactly why you don't step into leadership, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a reason why when your name comes up to be a deacon or a yoke fellow, you tend to send your name back in because you feel so rotten about this part of you. I know that's true for a lot of our guys. This is the, the creepy side of you, and it is the part of you that always separates you from you know what God wants for you. And this is what I'm telling you. When you learn to walk in, in sexual purity and integrity, when you embrace this discipline as a part of the strength God has given you, then you will finally understand how you're supposed to live. All of a sudden, your sexual side isn't the part of you that makes you feel low and shameful and creepy. It becomes part of what makes you hold your head up high. It becomes part of what unites you with your wife and part of what helps you understand the discipline and holiness that comes with, with belonging to Christ. Sir, you've got to get this together. you just got to get this part of, of yourself together and you can do this as some sort of weasel or, or some sort of creep. You don't have to live as a slave to your thoughts and a slave to your habits. Do you understand this? Christ has more for you. Now, I will say, it's very, very difficult, very difficult to repent for things that don't always seem like sin. And sometimes what you're doing brings you so much pleasure. It feels so right. And all the, all the rock songs say, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? Well, it's wrong. It's just wrong. But it doesn't always feel wrong. And it's very difficult to treat as sin in your life things that don't necessarily feel like sin. You read it in Scripture that it's wrong, but everywhere else in the world continues to confirm that it's right. Well, the world's wrong. Do you understand? God's Word hasn't changed. It's a part of your strength. It's a part of your strength. And every single time you choose to, to give in, every single time you choose to, to go to those websites, even though you told yourself yesterday you'd never do it again, you understand? Every single you do that, you're wasting your strength. God gave you strength to, to live in purity, but you throw that away with your sin. You're not living out of your strength, you're living out of weakness. And Christ makes you strong. You understand? Why would you give up your strength in this way? Why would you sacrifice your integrity in this way? Why do you want to keep all these secrets? It's a miserable way to live. So just a couple of words of advice. A couple of weeks when we begin to divide up into fire teams, get in one. Get in one. You need men in your life. You need other men. We can identify in ways that women don't understand. 
we understand each other. We get each other. You're probably thinking that other men don't struggle the way you struggle. Well, we do. We all do. And when we can get together and begin to feel safe around each other, we help each other a lot. Because you understand, secrets make you sick. Secrets make you sick. And the fact that this has to do with your secret sin, that's the power that it has over you because it's secret. But if you can find a way to simply live with no more secrets, this sin loses its power over you. Are you listening to me? The power is in the secrecy. You're afraid of being found out. Once you have no secrets, this sin has no power. So you've got to find a man. You've got to find some situation where you can be honest with somebody, a, a godly man, somebody who's going to understand the values that Christ has placed on your life and, and going to relate to that. Somebody who's going to steer you in the right direction, who's going to be honest but firm with you. Understand? You've got to find somebody that you can share this struggle with. And, and guys, we can do that for each other. If you're really struggling with internet pornography, then I want you to understand there are ways around that. There are ways that you can avoid that sin. There are ways that you can make yourself accountable with software. And I encourage you to take advantage of those things. TripleXChurch.com, for example, is a website specifically designed to help men, Christian men, with this struggle. You will uh, download a certain amount of software that goes onto your computer. And then it begins to send a report to two people you choose every time you go to a website you shouldn't go to. Won't you do that? Chicken. Won't you do it? Pick two people you can trust. I'll be one. You don't even ever have to talk to me about it. Just put my name and my email address in there. And probably you'll never go to those places again. You understand? Because Pastor Tim's going to get a report. You laugh. Presently doing that for a number of guys. I'll be your guy. I'll keep your secrets. I understand you. I really do. Put your wife on there maybe, but I don't know. She could flip out. Maybe that's not, maybe she's not going to be your accountability partner. I, I get that too. The point is, it's, it's the secrecy here that continues to enforce the power this sin has over you. And, and Christ created you for freedom. And Christ created you with the sexual power that you really shouldn't be so quick to give up. It is part of the core strength of yourself as a man on a mission. Let's pray together, then let's sing together. God, I'm in a room full of church people. And there are a lot of secrets in this room. All of us, secret sin. We sometimes just assume that the aim is to get through life and never be found out. And as long as nobody ever finds out, we're okay. But we're not okay. A man cannot take fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch fire. We will never escape the devastating consequences giving up our holiness, giving up the strength that Christ gives us. Jesus, I pray that you would rise up large within our hearts and minds and remind us that you are a powerful Savior. 
It's not just that you will forgive sin. You will deliver us from sin. You will set us free. You will give us strength to make a different choice tomorrow. God, forgive us as men for making excuses. Forgive us for reinforcing the perversions in our minds. Lord, forgive us making jokes that only continue to make sex seem as something shameful and laughable, dirty. As a church, Lord, let us lift up high what you have created between a husband and a wife. Help us, Lord, to be utterly faithful to one another, utterly faithful to you. God, tonight, we ask for pure hearts and pure minds. God, even when we pray for it, even when we ask for it as men, it seems like too much to ask. We know the filth. We know the filth that's inside our heads. We're afraid that if we ever said these things out loud, other people would lock us up, run away from us. God, we have nowhere else to go but to you. Help us, Lord, to trust you, run to you, let you set us free, and then help us, Lord, to uh, help each other as brothers to be there for one another. Temptation is difficult. It always isolates us, make us feel alone. Lord, I pray that as men in this church together, boys, help us not to leave each other alone in these struggles. We all struggle. Alone, we struggle more difficult, the Lord, but together we could add strength to strength. Help us, Lord, as brothers to come together and help each other. And help us all day by day, Lord. Say no to sin, yes to purity, become more and more like you each day. Oh Christ, may we have your purity in our hearts and in our minds. We pray in your strong name. Amen.